All right, let's go. Hello, I'm Kimberly Adams. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. It is July 13th. I'm Kyle Rizal. Thanks for joining us on this Thursday for a new segment for which we do not have a name yet. We've gotten some suggestions. It's the one where we play some tape and do some analysis on the other side. We've had between the lines. We've had sound off. Uh, keep them coming. You know how to get a hold of us uh, if you've got a good idea for this one. Uh, maybe it'll be on Thursdays always. Maybe it won't. I don't even know. Uh, all right. Anyway, first clip. Here we go. Drew, hit it. What happens here is important because what's happening to us is happening across all fields of labor by means of when employers make Wall Street and greed their priority and they forget about the essential contributors that make the machine run. So if you didn't recognize the voice, that was Mm. Fran Drescher, famously of The Nanny, uh, but who is also the president of the SAG-AFTRA union. And uh, full disclosure here, a lot of marketplace folks are represented by SAG-AFTRA, but not the part that just went on strike today. So that's a different segment of SAG-AFTRA. But it is the – it's a huge deal. It's like, what, 160,000 people or something like that? Mm -hmm. But it's Mm -hmm. the first – if you combine that with the writer's strike, the actors and the writers together, it's basically a total shutdown of Hollywood for the first time in 63 years. And when I was watching the press conference, um, this this particular clip really struck me because she was saying what's happening to the actors is likely to happen to lots of other industries because streaming totally disrupted the you know entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. And now with AI... And, you know, proposals, you know, they they accused um, the other side of offering proposals where they could, you know, take the likeness of an actor, pay them once and, you know, then use that imagery or digital whatever in perpetuity for all sorts of other things. Anyway, lots of back and forth offers across the table that aren't necessarily real. Anyhow, this idea that with AI and with all these new technologies, a lot of people are going to lose jobs or have their jobs significantly changed. Um, She was arguing that actors may be first in this, but this is coming for other industries as well. And I thought that was very fascinating. I thought the other thing that was fascinating today along these lines was an interview that Bob Iger, the once and present CEO of the Walt Disney Company and a guy who just had his contract extended, uh, made in, in, I think it was on uh, CNBC. Iger said that... uh, Yeah, Iger said uh, that the demands that the writers are making, and and one assumes now the actors, he feels the same way, are unrealistic and unreasonable. And I'm like, Bob, read the room. I just, it's, he's very savvy usually, and that was just a big faux pas. But look, this is a very big deal. And once we all work through the cues that we have on Netflix and Hulu and all that stuff and realize there's no fresh content coming, then it's really going to start to bite. And then I think writers and actors will have some leverage. Right now, though, with that backlog, I don't think they have a whole lot of leverage. Well, and that's that's the thing I was wondering about, because that backlog not only includes all of the content ever made, you know, for us, but also, right, right. like, all the foreign content that's now available. Yeah. Like, I've been going deep into these, like, 
Chinese miniseries about fantasy realms from thousands of years ago, you know, like sobbing on my couch over things that I never even thought I would worry about. Anyway, yeah. but like 49 <laughs> episodes of that. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know? no, exactly. And so exactly. Um, th- there's a long queue of content for people to get to before folks really start feeling it, you know. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, totally. this is going to be really interesting to see how yep. it plays out. Yep. All right. Next one. My fear is if we don't get to an agreement, they're already putting billions of dollars into golf. They've got a management team that wants to destroy the tour. And even though, even though you could say take five or six players a year, they have an unlimited horizon and an unlimited amount of money. So it, it, it isn't like the product is better. It's just that there's a lot more money that will, that will, will make people move. So that was uh, a guy by the name of Jimmy Dunn. He's uh, a, a member of the uh, the PGA Tour Policy Board. He's the vice chairman. And uh, as you know, if you follow the news this week, you know that that uh, Richard Blumenthal, senator for Connecticut, hauled them before uh, his committee to say, "What are you doing, PGA? Getting together with Live Golf, uh, which is funded by uh, the Saudi government and the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund." Um, and that's just really bad. And Dunn and the PGA Tour are saying this is the only way we can survive. And the Senate basically is saying, really? Um, I mean, I'm not a golfer. I follow golf peripherally. But this just seems like a very bad look for the PGA. It is not a done deal as of yet, right? Because there's a bunch of board approvals that has to happen. And one wonders whether federal regulators were going to get involved. Um, but it's a big deal. It's a big deal. I mean, but he's telling the truth there, it seems, because, you know, Live Golf was getting ready. They were offering ungodly amounts of money to these players Mm -hmm. to basically jump ship from the PGA Tour and come to them. And it was it was going to destroy the PGA Tour. And there were suits Mm -hmm. and countersuits and all these other things. What is infinitely fascinating to me is these same members of Congress who are like, accusing the PGA Tour of doing something bad by working with the Saudis are likely to be the same members of Congress who will vote to send weapons to Saudi Arabia and mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. will continue to, you know, we continue to buy oil from Saudi Arabia. And I get that, you know, the geopolitical things are very different from the commercial things, but it's a little bit of a disconnect there. Yeah, no, it's a lot of a disconnect. It's a lot of a disconnect. But uh, <laughs> yes, there, there is more to come disconnect. on this story. So, Yeah. More to come on this story, as with the strikes. We're two for two on more to come with this story. What's next? Yeah. All right. What's the next clip? It's outrageous that the Rules Committee last night managed to mess up a bipartisan bill uh-huh. and put it on a path toward becoming a hyperpartisan one by loading it up with every divisive social issue under the sun. Oh, boy. So I have been (laughs) watching C-SPAN today uh, about because the House of Representatives is debating the National Defense Authorization Act. This is legislation that they do every year that funds the military. Right. And as Mm -hmm. he said in that clip, um, who I should say, uh, who was that talking? Oh, uh, House Representative James McGovern. He was saying that's usually a bipartisan thing because everybody likes to go back to the district saying that they supported the troops. Nobody wants to take money from the troops until you get a very conservative House majority that sees this as – and we talked about this before when there's must-pass legislation like, I don't know, a debt limit deal. 
you might yeah. want to attach all of your social priorities to it to try to get those over the finish line. So what's happening is that, let's see, they on Wednesday, they approved a rule that basically allowed 80 amendments to get voted on on this legislation. And those amendments include a lot of those social issues. And let's see, I'm, I'm looking at the latest here. Uh, on Thursday, they adopt the House adopted half a dozen of these amendments of, from the conservative wing of the House, including limits to diversity initiatives, prohibitions on gender-affirming care in the military, and a rollback of the Pentagon's abortion policy. So what that means is when this bill goes up for a final vote, it will have these amendments attached to it, which very likely means it will fail because none of the Democrats are going to get on board. There may be a couple of Republican defections and it 100 percent will not get through the Senate like this. So huge piece of legislation and messy, real messy right now. So this is a serious question, actually, which I ask in your capacity as an observer of the Washington political scene. Um, mm. Then what happens? I think the same thing that happened with the debt limit deal. They wait and they go back and forth. And McCarthy's in a really bad situation because, you know, he hasn't delivered on some of the promises to get things done for the conservative majority yeah, that he yeah, had to yeah. do in order to get the speakership. And they were really pushing him to allow these amendments. And it seems like he did and they've made it through. So I think what's going to happen is it's going to pass the House maybe looking like this, like a very conservative NDAA. Yeah. You're going to have military leaders not able to say anything because they generally try to stay out of stuff like this. Um, the Senate's going to knock it down and then they're going to go back to negotiating. And, you know, I, you're not, you don't really have a government shutdown of the military. So right, right, it just right, right. Uh, it right. will be probably level funded until they sort out something. So so it'll pass with 218 in the House, right? That's what you're saying? Yeah, probably. Yeah, with Republican. Uh, I yeah, don't know. I, I really don't know because, really? like, some of this stuff, some of these, like, some of these initiatives, some of these amendments, I think, are going to be real problematic, um, even for, like, for some moderate Republicans. Because remember, these mm -hmm. folks have to go mm -hmm. back to their districts for, yeah. <laughs> you know, to get reelected yeah. on a somewhat regular basis. And some of these amendments going through are... Um, are issues. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know about this one. The the only other thing I want to add to this, and it's a little bit tangential, but it's but it's relevant because it's also about the 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 culture wars and and social issues coming to the military. I can't let this mm -hmm. opportunity pass not to remark on Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama and his mm -hmm. absolute freeze on military promotions and nominations oh, right. uh, in light of the Department of Defense's support of abortion rights uh, after the overturning of Roe. And Senator Tuberville has now held up because one person can bring the Senate of the United States to a complete halt, and that actually is just uh, an indication of how broken the Senate is. But, but anyway, Tuberville is holding up um, – 250 nominations and promotions, including the incoming chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the incoming commandant of the Marine Corps, um, in addition to a bunch of lower level but still senior officers. And that's bad on like 97 different levels. Um, and I, it's just I don't enjoy that at all. That's all.
I just think that stinks. I mean, this fits in with what we were talking about the other day with the Department of Justice, right? That there are more and more parts of the U.S. government that used to be seen as neutral or away from the politics that maybe never were, but at least were seen that way. IRS, you know, Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. are increasingly becoming viewed as or forced to be partisan issues. Moving that Overton window. Um, Right. Overton window being right. um, the – it's a political science term for sort of the space of accepted ideals uh, of what is acceptable and not in society. It's a very simplistic exp- explanation of it. Anyway, it's moving. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. Right. We got, uh, we got one more I think. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. One of the surprising things about the economy is just how much momentum it continues to have. So what's been notable is if you started at the beginning, you ended last year, December, if you looked at the summary of economic projections that the FOMC put out in December, it was for forecasting slower growth than we have now. So that was uh, Mary Daly. She is the president of the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco. She was talking about... Um, uh, obviously, the economy and rate hikes and and uh, the FOMC, the Federal Open Market Committee at Brookings. Um, and and I think, you know, she's she's look, Daly's a straight shooter and she's saying what she thinks is going to happen, which is a couple more rate hikes. There will there will be definitely at least one more in their meeting on the 25th and 26th. Um, and then I think there might be another pause. Frankly, they're going to they're going to skip August because they always go to um, Jackson Hole. So the next mm-hmm. meeting will be in September after the July meeting. Uh, they might pause on that one because, as we learned yesterday, uh, you know, inflation at the consumer level down to three percent, which is a third of what it was uh, a year ago. Um, but, but I, I think signs are pointing to a hike, maybe two, and then we might actually have a sustained pause. Okay, yeah. like Bostic That's said, this is the hard part. This is the hard part. It's exactly right. It's yeah. exactly right. Resilient consumers. It'll be interesting to see um, how things go on uh, that artificially created shopping day that uh, we love so much. Oh, uh, I hate that. It's, it's 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 bad. Um, I don't know if you remember, but one time I went a year without buying anything off Amazon, and it was like a I do like remember, a experiment yes. that I yes. did, and it was so fascinating. And I I think I, f- I should recreate that and see if I can do it again, because I think it will be much harder now, now. For than sure. it was then. Um, for sure. Because there have been a lot of things that I've looked for lately where I tried to find somebody else selling it and could not, and especially with all the businesses that shut down during the pandemic. Um, it will yep. be very interesting yep. how much harder it would be now totally. than then. Totally. Yeah. All right. That is it for us today. But before we go, a quick correction on yesterday's story about insurers pulling out of Florida. I was all wrapped up in it and I said State Farm, but I actually meant Farmers Insurance. You know, dun, 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 dun. that one, not, not the Jake <laughs> one. <laughs> mm, there you go. All right. We are back uh, tomorrow for Economics on Tap. Join us on the YouTube uh, at 3.30 Pacific, 6.30 Eastern. Catch up on what drinks we're at. Drinks? Drinks we're having drinks. tomorrow along with more drinks. news on business and the economy and reading recommendations from the team by signing up for our Marketplace uh, Make Me Smart newsletter, which is at Marketplace Newsletters at Marketplace.org slash newsletters. So just look them up. They're findable. Yes. That's what I'm saying. They're findable. You can find anything. On it's on the internets. That's right. Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Bergseeker. Today's episode was engineered by Drew Jostad. Ellen Rolfes writes the aforementioned newsletter. Our intern is Neela Farshabandi. 
Marissa Cabrera is our senior producer. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcasts. And Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital. There we go. Boom, 15 minutes. I know, right on the nose. Well, 14 according to my clock.